Welcome to the Tybee Marine Science Center podcast, an authentic coastal experience. Welcome to the Tybee Island Marine Science Center podcast. I'm Dee Daniels, and we continue a great conversation about the biggest pillars here at Tybee Island Marine Science Center, and that, of course, is education and conservation. And we're going to do more of that with my guest today, Allie Williford Caldwell, who's the program director here at the Tybee Island Marine Science Center. And on this episode, we really want to dive into marine mammal stranding, and we want to talk a little bit about bird rescue. You might not have known that that goes on here with uh, all of the fantastic coastal birds. But Allie, welcome back to the podcast. So much to talk about. So here at the Tybee Island Marine Science Center, we do have some conservation programs that have been going on. We've already talked um, on this podcast before about a few of those. And another one that we're going to do is bird rescue. Um, bird rescue here right now is actually, it's a weird kind of season because we've had the lovely avian flu going mm. on. So that has definitely halted us a little bit. Um, in the past, we even through the pandemic, we were um, helpful for the city there's ever a bird on the beach stranded or, or something going on, they could bring us a bird. People will call and we'll go out and try and rescue that bird. We do not yet. We do want to, um, in the future, get our rehab license. Um, so there's really not a whole lot we can do for birds. But one thing that is pretty special that we do is at least get them off the beach. Mm. Um, they're a hard one to kind of save because once you get them out of that very stressful environment, they're such a high stress animal that a lot of times they're not going to make it. But even if we can be that safe place. Um, if, if they are not going to survive, if we can be that safe place for them, then we will do that. And then we're also going to be kind of the transport for them. So we can get them off the beach, get them safe here, and then call a vet um, to, to take them to. The problem with that is there's just not a whole lot of vets that will even accept birds right, right. now. So they are one of our harder conservation programs. And then sometimes it's literally like a pigeon because we do have humans here on our beach. They're not really a species you'd find on the beaches, but we used to get calls, especially by the pier at our old building all the time. Someone would say, oh, there's this pigeon, something's wrong with him. And I'd go out and pick him up and he was wet. He was in the water. He is not a water bird. So once right. their feathers got wet, they couldn't fly. And so we would just literally bring them back to us, let them hang out with us all day and then release them. So sometimes it's that simple. And then sometimes it's a harder case. Where we're going to actually have to get them to a vet. It seems like, too, if you're able at some point to, you know, have have funding and everything to have a full on rehab mm -hmm. going on, that would take out some of that time, I guess, and process of, of having to get that to a, uh, that bird to a vet and all of that. So right now you're having to go two steps, right? Right. We have to get them to a vet. And we do have some vets um, that we're really close to, um, one very near us here. Um, so sometimes we'll even just take it to her house to get it to her. But yeah, it is a goal of ours to get our, uh, you know, a couple of us getting that rehab license so that we can even have, if it's an animal that's not going to survive and we know it's not going to survive, that we could even have, you know, kill drugs for that animal right. um, just to make it, you know, not so stressed out in that situation and being able to make those calls on our own. But like I said, the bird flu has really stopped us right now. Um, and the problem with the bird flu, we're not so much worried about humans. You could get it. Um, but it's really that vets aren't accepting them. So we can't accept a bird that's out in the wild because we're not going to have anywhere to take that bird. Um, we've been getting a lot of calls and it's really hard to say and it's really hard to get people to understand. You know, they're kind of getting mad at us. They're like, oh, we're well, not going to do anything about it. We, we really can't because right. we, we don't have a place for them to go if the vets aren't going to accept them and they can't accept it. Because if we get a bird in that has bird flu and they accept it, then all their other patients could get it too, since it's highly contagious. Right. Um, how do you know if 
they have that. And and what do you do from that point if that if that happens? We don't. You can't like look Nothing. externally yeah. and tell. So that's the problem, right? I mean, it could be a case that they don't have it and maybe we could intervene. But what if they did? It would be an internal test. Um, and it is still going on. I looked it up even, you know, a few hours ago before this podcast. I check on it all the time to make sure that we're still in that season because we want to be ready whenever we can start accepting them again to get them. But the last cases were... Um, that I saw the website was updated December 6th and there was like 12 cases in South Carolina on December 4th that they've seen. So it is definitely still ongoing, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, We want to remind everybody uh, where we are location wise. We're on Tybee Mm -hmm. Island. We're also in coastal Georgia and um, on location always when we record this podcast here at the Tybee Island Marine Science Center. Would you talk just a little bit about um, the the birds that you see mostly here in coastal Georgia? I mean, there's there's a nice wide variety and certainly you might spot some of them if you come and, and visit or, or spend any time here. And some of them are a lot bigger than you think. So, yeah. you know, coming across that is probably uh, kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah. So on your beach, really, you're going to see the gulls or the terns. We have three species of gulls here. Laughing gull, herring gull, and ring-billed gull. So these are going to be your three that you're going to be seeing. Um, and then turns on the beach. And then, like I said, because we do have humans here, you might see some grackles. Those are the birds you think of when you're thinking of like the Target parking lot, right? Or the Walmart parking lot. They're not a beach bird, a beach species, but because there's humans here, they're coming to, to get what the humans are eating. And then pigeons are non-native species that you're going to see on our beach and invasive species. So really on the beaches and our parking lots, that's what you're going to be seeing. The marsh birds, we have Lots of really great marsh birds. We have wood storks. Wood storks just got off of the endangered species list. The majority of the population were in Florida, but they started coming to Georgia because we have more of a habitat for them. Um, Florida loves to develop their marshes and and pretty much all of their properties. We try and keep coastal Georgia as natural as we can. And I think the wood storks figured that out. So we're starting to see more of them here, which is really exciting. Um, We have herons, uh, blue herons. We have um, ibis that you'll see a good bit. So those are the birds that are going to be in the marsh with the longer legs, those webbed feet. And then ospreys are really cool, um, look like hawks. Um, and you'll see those sometimes over the uh, water, but mainly you're going to be seeing those kind of in the marshy environments as well. Pelicans you'll be seeing flying over um, our water out here on the beach. Those are the big, big ones. When you rescue them, they're literally almost like three, four feet tall. They're so huge. They're big ones. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always so surprised when we see them. It's like, if they're close enough, you're just like, whoa, like you don't realize how big they are until you get as close as possible. Yes. What's it like, uh, you know, when you guys talk to people that, that certainly come to the beach a lot and, um, if they see an injured bird or if something looks kind of funny, you know, what's the protocol here? I know everybody in every, you know, little spot has their own different probably protocol, but certainly you guys have some suggestions for how people should handle that. Yeah, it depends on the species. Um, I mean, we'll get calls sometimes that are like, oh, there's a a gull with one leg. Well, sometimes for one, they'll stand on one leg. Um, But also birds are, I know I said they get really stressed out pretty easy in those situations, but they're also tough in that you can see a bird with one leg out there and it's fine. So we just kind of start talking to them and having that conversation about what their behavior is. You know, first we got to figure out what the species is because that's going to have a lot to do with maybe that particular behavior that you're seeing. Um, And then just the situation, if it's a bird and they tell me that it's laying down and they walked up on it and that bird didn't move, we're going out there. Right. Because that bird's naturally going to move away from you. I get calls sometimes that are like, oh, well, you know, he can't fly, but he's moving away from me. That's a harder one because by the time I get out there, that bird probably has moved away so far that I'm not going to be able to find that one 
goal when there's 20 others. So it just depends on the situation. But yeah, always, even if you call the city, sometimes the city will call us, but it's nice. We have a good little partnership. I guess I call it a partnership. We're very familiar with the people at animal control Mm -hmm. because they um, are very quick to get out there sometimes quicker than um, we are right now because they have a transport vehicle. Sometimes we'll call the lifeguards and get on their transport vehicle in uh, certain situations. But even they, a lot of times animal control will even bring us the bird and then we can see what it is and examine it and then try and figure out, you know, if it's one that we can hang out all day here and then re-release or if we need to call a vet or what those next steps are. Yeah. You guys have so much that goes on behind the scenes that I don't think a lot of people realize. I mean, it's just, you've no idea when you, when you come here, what might be going on downstairs with a bird or, you know, with with some, something else that you guys have run across that you're always trying to like be right there and and assess and what can we do? Yes. Keeps us on our toes. Yeah. No doubt. One of the things that you guys are so busy with um, a lot, and you certainly pour so much of your passion into, is the marine mammal stranding. Talk a little bit about um, what you generally find here. And, uh, you know, the stranding could mean uh, death. It could also mean injury. And there's an assessment that goes on there, too, right? Yes. So we are trained by the Department of Natural Resources and the Marine Mammal Stranding Network. Um, so us and like Savannah State University is trained by DNR and some other places um, in coastal Georgia to go out if there's a situation. So it just depends on the, you know, the species, the ones that we're going to get the calls the most about are your bottlenose dolphins. Um, I worked with Savannah State before I worked here as an intern in their dolphin lab. Um, so that's been, you know, a really good background experience for me to end up coming here and using that information. Um, but our Dolphins have very um, special behavior here than they don't have in other places around the world. So because we have our very large um, tidal swings, you know, 7 to 11 foot on a normal day, our dolphins have kind of learned to take advantage of that. And so there is something you might see that we might get a call about that looks like it's a stranding. It's literally called strand feeding. And what it is, is it's a cooperative behavior between these dolphins. They'll work together to kind of herd a group of fish, create this giant wave and push the fish out of the water onto the banks, and then they jump out of the water. So they're literally straining themselves, eating the fish off of the banks, and then they wiggle their way back down into the water and they swim away. And they're able to do this because of this large tidal swing that we have. It's a behavior really you're really only gonna see here and in South Carolina because the tide allows for it. So that's um, one that if you can get someone to say, oh, there's some dolphins laying on the banks. Well, what's their behavior? What are they doing? Are there fish around them? They're actually not stranded. So that's kind of a good interp that you can tell people. And then another behavior that our dolphins are known for is a little naughty. Um, It's called begging. So just like your cats and your dogs will beg you for your meal. Dolphins have learned that we have a big shrimp industry here and the shrimpers are throwing bycatch, right? They're not always just catching shrimp, this other stuff that they might be catching fish. um, They're going to be throwing it back over and dolphins learn to follow those boats around and get a free handout. It's pretty smart. They're smart animals. But the problem with that is they don't just do it around shrimpers. They'll do it to recreational boaters. Humans might start feeding them things that are going to make them sick. Um, I've seen dolphins that have had, you know, tails chopped, dorsal fins completely just chopped off, really bad scars because they got hit by these um, boat propellers. So it is not a good behavior of theirs. It's a learned behavior because of the environment that they're in here. Um, So that's one that, you know, you can kind of see. And unfortunately, that's a learned behavior. You might see a, like I've responded to a, a calf that was dead um, and very malnourished. And it's most likely because that mom, we went and looked and that mom was a known beggar. 
So the mom probably didn't really teach that calf to forage as well on its own as she should have. Instead, they were hanging out by boats. And right. that's kind of the situation that you're going to get in that. And so dolphins are going to be one. We also get calls a lot too because of this tide, especially um, between the jetties on the south end and little Tybee. We'll sometimes get a call that there's a dolphin like stuck there. And it's just because when that tide goes out, there's this really large tidal pool that gets creative. So in that situation, we're just going to watch. We're going to make sure that it's able to find its way out when the tide rolls back in. When an animal, a marine mammal strands um, on land, it's very rare that there's not a reason. Um, so they could be sick. It's why we want people to call us because if you just push that animal back and it's sick, it's just going to strand somewhere else, right? So we want to get ahead of that situation. It's so it's it's really not, um, and, and a lot of people just aren't educated on this sort of thing. But it's not good for just the recreational boaters to go and feed uh, dolphins, and you know, as much as you see them around here, especially in the coastal Georgia area, you see them everywhere. If you're on the water, you will see them. Um, but feeding them and sort of inviting them into that environment in the long run could be very, very bad. Yeah, absolutely. It's also illegal. Um, they're protected by the Marine Mammal um, Protection Act. So you can't go within 50 yards of these animals in the wild and nature. If you do, like when we were out doing our surveys as an unbiased party, we would turn our boat off um, because they might come up and beg, but we didn't right. want to hit them. So um, you're not able to, to touch them or really feed them, interact with them in the wild. And that's for all animals, not just dolphins. Dolphins are smart. So they've learned to kind of seek you out if they're looking for that. But that's really all animals, um, even birds. You'll hear us try and teach on the beach when we see people feeding the birds. You're teaching them to start looking for food that isn't theirs. I've seen a bird literally pick up a plastic bottle cap on the beach and, and swallow it right. um, because they're used to eating things that the humans are leaving behind. So that's really for all animals, not just dolphins, but it is very illegal um, to feed them in nature. It's really hard to resist. I know I've been on the boat during surveys and they pop up and they look really cute, um, but it, it's teaching them bad behaviors. You can also get bit. Um, they're, they are nicer and nicer species you might think of, but they're a wild animal. So you don't ever know what's going to happen when you hang your hand over the water. If they think it's a fish or maybe they're just having a bad day, it can happen. So just because they're, you know, you see flipper and, and some of these other animals and some aquariums that are part of these shows, um, they can still absolutely bite you. So it's for your safety and their safety and their well-being. Right. Um, we talked uh, for a moment about the stranding situation could be um, an injury, could be death as well. And and that's something that you guys are um, a part of that whole process, being able to, after the death of an animal, being able to really investigate what goes on and also then take that information and really learn from it. Right. So, uh, I mean, we'll, you know, if it's a, if it's a dead um, marine mammal, and that's what you're going to get most cases here, especially when you're talking about dolphins, um, we'll be able to open them up and, and do a necropsy on it and see if it was human related. Um, you know, something natural would be an older animal, right? Just naturally dying or maybe um, being sick. Sometimes you'll get sickness in animals that it's not human related. It's just like we pass on sicknesses. Humans, they might be passing on something to each other. So um, really, that's what we want to see. We want to make sure it's not human related, because if it is, maybe we can avoid it in the future. And then we have other marine mammal species here. Um, we've had um, our curator responded one time to a, a pygmy sperm well um, straining. I've been a part of there was a mass straining of pilot wells in St. Catherine's Island in 2019. So 
I went out with Savannah State um, University staff and then DNR, we went out and, and responded. In total, there ended up being like a total of 26 part of that pod. There were, I think, like five on the beach that day that we saw that were dead. A couple had gotten back out into the water um, and there was no cause. So you do all that testing and sometimes you're, you know, you're really wanting to know what's going on with them. There was some, a little bit of disease, but like I said, as in a wild animal, that can be very natural. But when you're dealing with an animal like a pilot whale, they stay in pods. Dolphins do not. So dolphins do what we call a fission-fusion social structure, which just means they might hang out with some other dolphins for a little while, but then they're going to break apart and go on their way. And then they might find another little group of dolphins and hang out. So they're social, but not social within one particular family. They're going to be social with other animals, other species. The only pairs you're really seeing is like a mom and a calf staying together until that calf gets old enough. And then male-male pairs, they'll form a bromance and stay together right. for, forever. But pilot whales, they, they'll stay in a pod and it can be a matriarchal family line. And so if like a leader of a pod is sick and, and wants to strand, then they're all going to come up together. So that's another reason why you don't just start you know, throwing them back. You want to keep them alive. And if it's doing that by getting them back in the water, but if you can figure out who, you know, who's the sick one, who's the reason that they're all stranding. Um, so there wasn't unfortunately a cause of that, but we were able to open up. I think we did five that day on the beach. And then actually later, about a month later, I no, not even a month. It might've been, I don't know, a couple of weeks um, in South Carolina, five of those from that pod ended up stranding again. So, and wow. still no, cause of that. So sometimes you can figure it out. You take the test, the tissue samples, and then sometimes there's just no reason. Yeah. The mass stranding has got to be so um, alarming, you know, when you see anything like that and then not being able to figure out the reasoning behind it. Also, how did you know the couple of weeks later, those were from the same pod? How did you know that? Because photo identification. So we take pictures of their dorsal fins. This is what I did at Savannah State with dolphins. You take pictures of their dorsal fins and you play the match game, right? You have all these previous pictures that have been collected and then you're just seeing who you're looking at. If you've ever seen them before, if they're new in this population, um, like that's how we know bottlenose dolphins. We have some that will beg every time. Some you've never seen beg, some that will hang out by shrimp trawlers. Some of them are resident and they like to stay here, you know, more year round. There's some that are transient and will come and go. And you're learning this just because of previous surveys and pictures that you've taken and literally playing the match game. So that's how we know pilot whales. Um, like we said, there are no, there wasn't a known cause for that. They're also a species that like to stay more offshore. So it could have been that they were just inshore and, you know, our tides confused them a little bit. There, there's a lot of different guesses that you can make as to what happened, but you can't ever say for sure, especially when you've taken the samples and didn't get anything definite back. But for an animal, I mean, our tide is extreme. If you're not, if they're not as used to it as say our dolphins who are in our estuaries all the time, then it could have been something just as simple as that. Yeah, the uh, tide swing here is crazy, and and you certainly see a lot of that. Where, um, I mean, even where we live on a small island, and there are so many tiny islands um, in coastal Georgia, but you know, it, you see something coming up close, and it's like, wait, can they get out? Can they get back? What are we doing? Like, what are they, are they okay? And it's a lot like as you know, watching that, you don't realize how much changes just within a tide around here. And so I would imagine there could be some confusion there that happens with the animals sometimes if they're not, you know, part of the normal routine of that. And then humans trying to interact with that. 
That's a whole different ballgame. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, um, and DNR is always, you know, who you're going to call first and then they would call us because, you know, they're out in Brunswick. And if they know that there's something going on at Tybee, instead of them taking a two hour drive here, they'll just call us and say, Hey, can y'all go see what's going on? We've, we're getting a call, um, about, and that's happened where we've gotten a call from DNR that someone called out on Tybee and, you know, it was one that was in that little title pool. And so we literally just stood there during the title swing and just watched to see if they can get out. And most of the time they can, they're, you know, they're adapted to be able to, to deal with these, but that's a dolphin that is used to our tides that has seen, um, these kind of tidal swings. They may be a resident that has stayed with us. And so they've learned it and these animals and not just dolphins or marine mammals, but even sharks and rays, they're coming up at a higher tide into these channels because you can, they can eat better, right? They're able to catch more fish because the water's a little bit shallower. It's not as deep. So they're going to take advantage of this really large tidal swing. And then they're going to feel that tide start to change and know that they, you know, that they have to leave, but they are going to come up into the marsh at a, at a, um, a higher tide a little further in because you can hunt a lot easier. Right. Right. Um, obviously, you know, the, uh, so many people love coming and visiting Tybee Island Marine Science Center and sort of seeing some of, uh, all of this up as close as you can. Um, and you guys are such good educators and I feel like, you know, when, I mean, like right now, this particular episode, we're in the fossil room uh, for this one, right? And it's it's just really, really cool um, to come in and sort of look at all that. We've got fin whale on the wall and, and just all kinds of cool things. And, and and that's, I know, one of the, the pieces of being able for you guys to go out into the field and see all of this happening and then come in and sort of answer questions and teach people about things that we'll never see that side of it for the most part you know, just as a regular visitor to whatever beach. And you guys are able to bring that back and really do a lot of that teaching, even to the young kids. I know you guys enjoy doing that. Yeah, it's and that's what, you know, when we hire, we try and hire either students who might still be in school or have some sort of biology background, you know, mines in marine science, zoology, whatever it is, um, because we're the ones that have the field experience. So we're the ones that have those stories, you know, I do a really good marine mammal stranding talk to students because I did that at Savannah State. I have that background. You know, we have one of our girls who worked with Spartina, the grass that you're seeing in the marsh. So she's going to have a really good marsh talk on that plant life. So when you have that field experience, it makes that education that much better, um, more relatable. And then, yeah, that's what when people are coming in to talk to us, you might think you're paying $12 just to come in and see some animals. You know, we're not as large as the Georgia Aquarium, we are still smaller. We're bigger than we were, which, which is nice, but we're still small. But you're also supporting these conservation programs. We couldn't do these rescues and these conservation programs without the humans coming into the door and listening to us talk for hours about the fossils in the fossil room. And so we're always happy to have people come in and ask us these questions and try and stump us. And I always <laughs> tell people to try and stump me because we don't know everything. And right. a lot of times the questions that the humans ask or how we learn to be like, it's a great question. Let's look it up together. Let's figure it out. So yeah, we love um, people coming in and talking to us and it's how we're able to support these conservation programs and these other programs that we do at the science center. Well, I even meet people that have lived here for years and years and years, and they still, when they come, they learn something new and they're like, Whoa, I had no idea that this goes on with this particular turtle, or I had no idea that dolphins, you know, if you grow up on the coast here, and especially in coastal Georgia, 
you've seen a lot of dolphins and like people learn something new every single day. I'm sure you like that aha moment when somebody, especially that grew up or, you know. Yeah, I had that. I used to go out on the boat with some of my family. I'm not going to say who it was. And we would feed dolphins. Like I am because it's what we did in Savannah. You'd go out on the boat. I was a little girl. And so I'm speaking firsthand when I say people did that. We didn't know it was illegal. Right. Um, You don't think of you hurting an animal because you're trying to feed them, right? You're trying to do a good thing. So I've had aha moments here where I'm like, wow, that definitely, well, not here. I learned that in school, but you know, you're not supposed to be interacting with these animals in that way. So, and it's with every conservation program, especially with like sea turtles. That's what we always say. Like, don't be scared to call us because you weren't necessarily fishing for a sea turtle when you caught it on your hook, but we can get some data from that animal and we can get that hook out safely Um, so if you're accidentally out there or, you know, we want you to learn from it, but we want you to call us. We're not going to report you to DNR if there's some situation that you might've been doing wrong, but we want to know about it because we want to get that data. We want us to see if we can help that animal as best as we can. And I'm definitely not going to judge you because like I said, when I was a little girl, we did it from here. It's just what you did when you're on the boat. Yeah. We, we do better when we know yes, better, right? It's important. Um, and it is important. And that's the ripple effect of being a part of, of Tybee Island Marine Science Center. So do come and uh, bring your kids and, and your neighbors and all the things. And even if you've lived here for a long time, because it's, uh, it's a wonderful place to visit and certainly a wonderful place to learn. Well, Allie, thank you. Stop by and see Allie. She's the program director here. She'll answer all your questions. Try to stump her. She likes I will, that. I will do my best, but try and stump <laughs> me. Keep me on my toes. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you, Allie. Thank you. From the beach to the marsh, from the ocean to the rivers and creeks, from the islands to the mainland to the classroom, this is your authentic coastal experience with Tybee Marine Science Center. We provide year-round programs for visitors, residents, and learners of all ages. You'll find us on Tybee Island at North Beach, beachside of Fort Screven. Join us in developing caring and responsible protection of coastal Georgia's natural resources. You can help us today by becoming a member. Your membership support helps fund conservation programs and assist with program fees for low-income groups. Visit TybeeMarineScience.org to learn more about becoming a member. Our volunteer opportunities are there and all of the cool merch available in our discovery shop. Thank you for sharing this episode with another curious learner. Grab your membership at TybeeMarineScience.org and follow us on social. Together through education and conservation, we can make a difference.